0: Financial advisor
1: Justin Klein. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back to Invest Talk. This is our Wednesday, August 9th, 2023 edition. I'm Justin Klein and I am here ready to help make you a better investor. And we are solidly into the second half of the year, and it's been An interesting year, and historically, there's more volatility in the back half of the year than the first half, and you're starting to see that a bit. Uh, Liquidity tends to be a bit choppier, and that manifests in markets, and you've seen that today. Uh, We're still in the midst of earnings season, so that's obviously allowing or or forcing big moves in particular names uh, and the market as a whole. So we are going to help you navigate this and help you think about the the steps that it takes to become a successful investor. And that doesn't mean that you learn just a handful of things and you set it and you forget it, you're done. It's a constant journey. Uh, Markets change, economies change, sectors change, industries change, and you need to be up on that. And so, in today's world, that becomes infinitely more complex as time goes on with technology and globalization or deglobalization now at this point. Uh, you know, th- this is something that uh, takes takes some work, takes some time, but we are here to try to help you weed through the noise and keep it as simple as possible. It's not so simple that you can just, you know, pick, for example, of oh, the highest dividend yielding stocks. It's not like that. But if you understand the variables you can distill what is important to the input in your decision making process and an input isn't about using emotions it's about using the facts on the ground and sometimes those facts are easy to find others other times those facts that we call you know noise you know headlines that might excite the emotions but how much does that really matter so those are things that we discuss on on this show is try to help answer your questions number 1 and we do that in a very unbiased uh, manner with over 20 plus years of investment experience giving you perspective and data that will that are important to the role that you have which is being the shepherd of your money okay so this podcast is about you and it's your opportunity to fi- to submit your finance and investment questions so that we can help the more you call, the more we can help you and the rest of the InvestTalk community. So remember, when you call, it's not just you that you are helping. So the phone line's never close. It's 888 99 eight ninety nine That's how you get through and ask your question on today's show. Now, our main focus point today looks at e-commerce and the growth and where things are shifting. The, pandem- the pandemic boom in online retail has return to mean reversion. And so we're gonna drill into that topic. Also, 401ks and what what employers can do to protect employees from themselves, from bad habits. And we're gonna look at the structure a lot of 401k plans and what makes good structure and what makes bad. Also, Amazon is meeting with FTC officials. And there's an expectation of an antitrust complaint. So we're going to dig into that and what FTC Chair Lena Kahn is thinking. And then lastly, mortgage REITs. Guess what? Their lending is dried up. And what does that say about the balance sheets of a lot of these mortgage REITs? You know, remember what I just said? Don't just buy the highest dividend yielding stocks out there. The mortgage REITs are often the highest dividend yielding ones in the market. Doesn't mean they're great investments, but they pay you out some money. But you can see here is that this often at the detriment to their entire balance sheet. So we're gonna look at that story. So that's what's on my mind. But ultimately, we're gonna to get to your voice bank questions as well. One is on Permianville Royalty Trust, PVL, and Zim Integrated Shipping. As well as your live calls, as well. Most importantly, at eight 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 ninety nine charts. So, don't hesitate to pick up that phone and give us a call. And let's take a look at the market today. It was decidedly red day, and on the growth side of the market, you had some big moves down. Palantir down ten and a half percent. Nikola down twelve percent. Rivian down ten percent. Nvidia down nearly five percent. Neo down four percent. Roblox, Roblox down twenty two percent. Advanced micro devices down 2.4. I'm just looking at some of the biggest movers out there in the marketplace. What else? Angie down 33. Upstart. Remember Upstart? Pay, uh, buy now, pay, pay later? Down 34% today. So a lot of the names that were had that counter trend rally this year on the growth side are starting to crater a bit. Some of them cratering, some are just rolling over. Uh, but you clearly had that. Biggest so far in the last uh, few weeks, the biggest move uh, in the growth side of the market, really pulling back on higher interest rates and obviously the, on the, the earnings announcements that you're seeing out as well. So uh, you continue to see this slow motion kind of shift uh, in the market that I've been talking about for the last few weeks. All right, let's head over to Arizona and talk with Taylor. He wants to talk about infinite banking.
2: Yeah. Hey there. Thanks for, um, doing what you guys do. I appreciate it. So, uh, sure. I have a, a brother who came across uh, a little bit of money. Uh, I mm-hmm. don't know the exact dollar amount, but the important thing is that he's being sold on an idea called infinite banking. Huh? My mother's involved, um, as well, but uh, I understand the basic concepts that's involved with a mutual funds. Um, I was wondering if you guys had ever heard of it. And if so, do you have any other details, um, that guy named Ramsey online has a video saying it's a scam. So, just curious, what your guys' thoughts are?
1: Yeah, this is one of those sales pitches that uh, happen around whole uh, life policies and, and, and universal life policies, and it's basically another marketing pitch to try to get people to pony up their premiums for these type of policies. Uh, and you know, it's one of those things where. It sounds great, but the devil's always in the details. And there's a lot of misinformation, a lot of confusion that happens around these type of um, these policies. Remember, these are very long life insurance policies. They are very complex, and once again, the devil's in the details. But most people don't read the details. They 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 read the marketing points and they listen to the person selling that life insurance policy because uh, they are the person selling it is going to earn a huge commission on it. So there's a lot of incentive to really push on these great talking points without really touching on the details. And what I would say is you can take the difference between a term life policy and a whole or universal life policy and go invest that. And guess what? You can borrow against that money as well, right? You can get margin loans. Uh, You can just take out some of that money. Um, if you put in a, a, a Roth IRA, where you can take that money out penalty free, the amount you put in. Um, so that's much better to go and take that difference, go invest it into Roth IRA, IRA, uh, even just a regular brokerage account. Because there's not the fees associated with it that are typically very high within an insurance policy. This is This is what I would say simply. Insurance is insurance. It's not an investment vehicle. It should never be an investment vehicle. If you need insurance, and a lot of people do, right? They're working, they have kids, they have a spouse, and if something happens to them, they want to make sure that their family is taken care of. Most people need that if they have people that rely on them. So go buy a term policy and take the rest and go invest it elsewhere. And you'll do a lot better because history shows that, that... Universal and whole life policies are terrible investments. And I, I say this time after time. I have never, I've done this over 20 years, over 20 years. And I've talked to hundreds, if not thousands of people, one-on-one, looking at their assets, et cetera. And I have never once had a person that was happy that they bought a whole or universal Life insurance policy. Not one. Not one single person. Sounds like
2: me, my Google searching with a scam at the end of it uh, paid off. So I appreciate your uh, analysis, and I'm sure the world does as well, the ones paying attention to this. So thanks for what you do.
1: No problem. Thanks for the call, Taylor. And uh, I know it's hard. A lot of people that come into money. They don't have an experience there. And the last person you should be going to talk to is some insurance person selling you whole or universal life policy there are a lot out there like I said it's very it's very lucrative to, to sell it and so just hopefully uh, focus on somebody who's a fiduciary and anybody who's a fiduciary is not selling whole or universal life policies these are only brokers out for that commission that's it now, as we headed to a break, let me tell you about the new video feature we are producing. It's called the Invest Talk Sector Spotlight, and it is free, and our second episode is out on the energy sector, and we talk about the ongoing war in Ukraine, as well as the dynamics with, with after the wait, in the wake, excuse me, of the fallout from the COVID-19 pandemic, and there are a lot of pitfalls to avoid within the energy sector, as well as opportunities. A lot of opportunities right now. So, you have to be informed, and that's why we did this episode so you can find it over on YouTube channel. So check out the new InvestTalk Sector Spotlight and give me a call now. The phone lines are open, waiting for your questions at 888 chart
3: Justin Klein talks about the KPP Financial Premium Newsletter.
1: I want to remind you that this is a time where you probably need some guidance and you're tuning in to try to get our view of the markets and. We only have an hour here, and and sometimes the way I distill each day can be maybe not enough, maybe not enough time. And so our premium newsletter is a great tool for especially newer investors trying to learn some things.
3: The KPP Financial Premium Newsletter comes to your mailbox every Saturday.
1: Learn how to analyze the market, learn what the economic numbers mean, learn how to manage a portfolio, maybe get an idea of what are good companies to be at least looking at. Maybe you don't buy it today, but you should always have a watch list of companies that, hey, these are interesting. These have good businesses. And if they get the right price, maybe I should buy them. So our newsletter is a great tool for that.
3: Subscribe anytime at investtalk.com. Justin Klein is here and ready to take your calls live. Talk. Eight 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 ninety nine chart.
2: Hey Steve and Justin, this is Stephen Django out of Charleston, South Carolina. Just wanted to get a comparison and an understanding of the business model behind the companies I'm going to mention in a second. The quid pro quo would be helpful. Understanding the business model behind royalties better and the comparison of the two and why it matters. Tickers are PVL and NRT. Appreciate the time. Hope I get some insight on this, and look forward to hearing back. Hope this helps the other listeners during this demand of oil and OPEC cuts and all the other fluctuation in this world right now. Thanks for everything you do. Appreciate the time on your clock, and I hope it gets answered. Have a great day, guys.
1: All right, looking at Permianville Royalty Trust as well as North European Oil Royalty Trust, and these are royalty trusts. And let me explain. What they are basically, they hold rights to certain land, and ideally, that land is producing or has underneath it some sort of mineral or, or or energy asset. And in this case, and most of these royalty trusts have oil and gas underneath. The issue here is that there are shelf lives to their royalties. Right? It's not indefinitely typically ends over a certain period. And so they have a suite of royalties on various land, and it's up to the investor to know when those expire. Because guess what? Once it expires, that's gone. That asset is... There's no revenue from it. Okay, They have a license to it, and that's it. So the lease is over, and whatever they got over that time period, that's what they got. Now, Northern European Royalty Trust, that operates in Germany. And so there's some... Regulatory issues around that and it, with with dealing with the German government. So that's part of it. It's different than dealing with our government. So that's something to think about as well. Whereas PVT, which is the Permian Vale Royalty Trust, that has rights in Texas, Louisiana, New Mexico, etc. Now, the reason these all are in decline is because the shelf life, once again, of their assets are declining. Once that those leases are up this ceases really to exist. So they sound like they, it's great because they pay you a high dividend yield, but that dividend will end at a certain point. So you really have to look at the length of their, uh, th- their uh, royalty rights. Um, so neither one would probably be a good way for me, in my mind, to take advantage of the oil market. I'd rather buy an EP company that isn't subject to their assets just disappearing eventually at some point. So I'm passing on both of them. Now we're going into a quick break. Please remember that you can call anytime leave your questions on the Best Stock Voice Bank. Or if you're listening via the live stream or on AM 1220 radio in the Silicon Valley area, you can call now at 888 99 Chart.
3: The stock market is constantly changing and serious investors know that they need to modify their portfolio assets to fit the times. And now, with more than 50 million downloads, Justin Klein and Steve Peasley reaffirm their commitment to providing unbiased finance and investment guidance here on Invest Talk. 888 Chart. Let's
1: go talk to Nick in Manhattan Beats, wants to talk about SCHD.
2: Uh, hi, Justin. Yeah. Uh, I historically have been pretty overweight, uh, large cap growth. I'm uh, mm-hmm. looking to rebalance and get more into uh, value, predominantly large cap, um, dividend growers. Uh, I want to. I'm thinking about SCHD, the Schwab mm-hmm. dividend ETF. Um, I am th- comparing it with Vanguard dividend appreciation ETF VIG. Um, I know that Schwab. This, the SCHD sort of targets for um, companies with consistent growers of dividends, um, but not necessarily companies that are growing sales or profits fast, uh, sort of the big, large-established companies like Pepsi, Coca-Cola, mm-hmm. Merck, whatnot, whereas VIG is um, looking for companies that not just um, maintain dividends but grow them pretty, pretty fast, um, double-digit rates. And so it it includes companies like Microsoft and Apple, um, as opposed to just the big bill, the big old established ones like you know Pepsi and Coke, as I mentioned. What do you think is a better bet for both capital appreciation but also income?
1: Well, you you kind of answer it there, where Vanguard Dividend Appreciation Fund does hold some of those growthier names. Its top position is, is Microsoft, second is is Apple, and it's more of a blend. It does lean slightly on the value side, but it's still more of a large-cap blend. Whereas the Schwab D fund, Schwab Dividend Fund, that one is clearly set in the large-cap value space. Its largest holding is Broadcom, then Abvi, Home Depot, Amgen, Cisco. And its exposure to tech is only about 12%, 12% whereas uh, the dividend growth is 22%, much closer to the the broad index. So, yeah, the Schwab D is certainly a much better pure play value ETF versus the dividend growth. And so that's probably what I would go with is something that's uh, more of a pure play value.
2: All right. Thank you.
1: No problem. Thanks for the call. Now, my main focus point is in regards to e-commerce. And Amazon just had earnings recently, and they reported 11% year-in-year growth for the second quarter of the year, excluding its cloud computing division. So mainly its e-commerce business. And that sounds pretty good, 11%. It's solid, and especially in a slowing economic and consumer environment. But it's way down from the 42% sales growth that it had in the same quarter in 2020. Now, obviously, it was the pandemic shutdowns that pushed everybody to shop online. But it's, this 11% is even slower than its pre-pandemic trend. And then you look at other large e-commerce platforms like Wayfair. They just reported earnings. It was the ninth consecutive quarter of declining sales. And obviously, that's more of a pure play e-commerce business. Amazon's a bit more uh, diversified, even even when you pull out the cloud computing division. Now, the online share of retail spending in America has been around 15%. And it's been stagnant there for a while. And it's basically back to its pre-pandemic trend. Now, pre-pandemic, it was lower than that but the the upward trajectory had it saying hey by that time this time if there was no pandemic it would probably be around 15% anyway so has the pandemic changed longer term trajectory of consumer behavior no it hasn't it hasn't it was just that short term boost and that's why you saw a lot of those names kind of extrapolating that that growth going forward and that has corrected in a big way. And the story is the same in places like Britain, France, and Germany. So this isn't just a U.S. thing. And certain categories are struggling more than others. For example, clothing. People are going back to the store and there's actually shrinkage in online purchases of clothes. Grocery as well. Grocery still up. It was 4% of online shopping. Online grocery shopping was 4% of Grocery sales in 2019, that went to 7% in 2020, and it's now up to 9%, but it is a tougher business because margins within the grocery business are small anyway, so adding on the cost of an employee going and picking out those uh, shelves and delivering it, it's a tougher business for e-commerce platforms to make a lot of money in, and... The fact that Amazon bought Whole Foods was a good example of that, needing those brick and mortar stores to make that type of business more sustainable. Now, there's also more competition from more direct-to-consumer sales platforms like Shopify. And if you look at Shopify's latest announcements, they had earnings, they they had sales growth up 31%, way higher than Amazon, okay? Okay. And so what's happening here is the middleman, Amazon would be the middleman, is being cut out more and more, especially as platforms, social media platforms, are allowing more direct access to buying on their platforms. And so you don't need to go, you don't need to see something on social media and go to Amazon to buy. Obviously, people still do that. But oftentimes, you can buy directly on the app or a link out to that influencers website and that's happening more and more as well. So these more direct to consumer businesses are becoming are, are kind of eating into the e-commerce platform business like Amazon or Wayfair, etc. And I think that's a trend that will only continue. And that's probably the biggest competition uh, for Amazon. Now we're heading into a break. Ready for your questions right now, live at eight 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 ninety nine chart. Let's say Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. One of the most rewarding things I do each weekday is host the Invest Talk podcast. I truly enjoy
3: helping investors, and I know that every question counts, and every answer I provide will be unbiased. You, the caller, get to chart the course for each Invest Talk podcast.
1: Call with your questions anytime, day or night, 888-99-CHART. On the next Invest Talk, we will look into the story behind this question. Is capitulation at the market's highest levels coinciding with a subtle shift in the market narrative? More big-name investors have been shuttering their bearish bets and changing their bad outlook. Even as the stock market has begun to edge lower. That story tomorrow. But for now, let's pivot to the Invest Stock Voice Bank at 888 99 chart.
2: Steven, Justin, I have a question on a stock that was uh, recommended to me. The stock symbol is ZIM, Integrated Shipping Services. Can you give me a little insight on this stock? Is it a buy or should I stay away? Uh, or what is a good entry point? Anyways, I appreciate your guys' uh, service. You guys do a fantastic job. I'm uh, looking forward to hearing the response on your podcast. Thank
1: you. This is the epitome of a name that investors, many investors, are looking at because they're looking in the rear view mirror. They're not investing through the windshield, which we talk about all the time. Looking forward, not backwards. Now, if you look backwards, 2021 and 2022, they made massive amounts of profit: $39 per share in 2021, $38 a share in 2022. And it's trading at $14 per share. So you'd say, where's the beef here, right? Why is it trading so low? And the yield, current dividend yield is 120%. It's really funny. You know why? Because this year, expected earnings are supposed to be negative $2.30. Next year, negative $4 per share. And I remember when this was just starting to break down technically, in the low fifties, maybe around sixty dollars per share. Its high was around 85 dollars per share. And I was saying that earnings growth is slowing down, and it's not going to earn this much. Remember, uh, just to back up here, this is a company in the shipping business. So remember when there was a everyone was buying physical goods, and there was not enough. Ships to go around. They made a ton of money. And they were losing money in 2019. So the pandemic helped them tremendously. And they went public. They went public on this in uh, 2021, on the back of these, these huge earnings. And it rallied from 12 all the way to, you know, nearly $90. Now it's back to 14 So based on last year's earnings, the year before... It's super cheap. what are the odds we're going to return to that economic environment? Probably very low. So you're just going to burn capital. So I don't know who recommended this to you, but I would not be listening to them because clearly they are looking backwards and they don't have good data. You need to know what is likely moving forward, not what happened in the past. All right. Let's talk a bit about 401k plans. Everyone has, most people have them. That are out there or their spouse does or their son or daughter or sister or cousin. And oftentimes plan structure can say a lot about how smartly the alloc- the assets are allocated within that plan. And oftentimes employees are their own worst enemies. But it's really up to two people to make the decision on how these 401k plans are structured. Now, the first would be the advisor. Unfortunately, a lot of advisors are conflicted they're brokers and they sell high fee funds. I actually just talked to a client who asked me to help allocate their 401k plan a couple years back and it was so bad that... I said you need to go to your employer and say this is so bad. Frankly, I could sue you, and that's true. Any employee can sue their company if their four hundred one k plan is not structured in the best interest of the employees. The employer has a fiduciary duty to do that, and so that's number two: is the employer needs to put together a fun lineup that will get employees to make smarter decisions. So crafting a menu of options that makes sense. So it's really at the end of the day, it's up to your employer. The employer's your boss, as well as the boss of the advisor that's on the plane. So the employer needs to be educated on this. Now, menu is part of the problem. That could be too high of fees. It could be funds that are too narrow in their scope. So people, you know, think if you had a tech fund in your 401k, how many people would just buy that? Oh, I love technology. I want in technology. And that's just all I'm going to own. But that happens, right? So streaming down the investment lineup uh, certainly is helpful. And It goes back to our focus point on Monday, and that's the more balanced funds. They have the least loss to bad decision-making, right? chasing returns up and down. So those blended funds, white targeted funds are good kind of default options because they are naturally blended. Are they the best option if you know what you're doing? No, but they're better than most people's alternative, which is I don't know what I'm going to do. I just... Chase the, uh, what, what, what did the best over the last three years or five years? That's what most people do. So employers need to make, help workers make better choices. So streamlining those uh, funds and then also safe, uh, putting guardrails so where they can't put too much in one particular fund. That, that's, that's a structure as well. I think most companies should have that. I don't think anybody should just be in one fund. That happens with the employer stock plan. Two-thirds of employers that offer their company stock limit the amount you that their employers can allocate to 20%. And I think that is smart, a smart structure. And so if you are part of the decision-making process or you can influence it within your 401k, talking about these guardrails as well as streamlining the investment options I think is helpful. Now we're now, the more caller questions we fit in the podcast, the better your learning experience will be. So let's play another question from the Vestock Voice Bank at 888-99-CHART.
3: Hey, Steve and Justin. Uh, this is Dan from Walmart Creek. And I have a question about CDs. If I purchased a three-year CD, would I get a tax document at the end of each of the three years or would I just get an accumulative one at the end of the third year? Thanks.
1: Uh, you should get a tax document each year so on the income of that CD. So uh, there are, I believe there are CDs that are zero income CDs, meaning you buy them at a discount, kind of like zero coupon bonds and you get you get your maturity. Uh, and, and that may be different, but yeah, you'll get a tax document uh, from your bank on the income you receive for that particular year. Let's go back to the Invest stock Voice Bank for a question that came in earlier on 88899 chart.
2: Hi, Steve. Hi, Justin. This is Sanket from Boston. Just wanted to get your thoughts on this ETF, JP. J as in Jordan, E as in English, P as in Peter, I as in India. Was looking at at this ETF as a means for capital preservation to a certain extent and also getting the juicy 10, 11% dividend. Looking to get your thoughts on this.
1: Thanks. Well, once again, don't focus on the dividend especially these funds because you don't know where that dividend is coming from. Is it sustainable or not? You want to look at the total return. Now, so far since it launched in 2021, it's had decent returns except for this year, only up about 7%. Now what this is for everyone else, this is a covered call strategy by JP Morgan, JEPI. And now we run a covered call strategy. This is up 7%. I will t- for the year, I will tell you we're doing much better than 7% uh, in our cover call strategy. So, it's okay. It's fine. It's better than the covered call ETFs that just track an index. I will say that. I like the mix of the assets. It tends to lean a little more to the value side of the market, which is good. Uh, but it's still, still leaning on the, on the growth side, just not as much as the S&P, for example. Um, so it's okay. If you just want to put a small percentage, you want access to a covered call strategy, this is the, the one for you. But don't focus, once again, on that dividend. It's the total return that you're getting. okay? And if you look at the distributions, they're all over the place. It was $0.61 in December of last year. Then this last time, it was only $0.29. So... I don't see this dividend as sustainable, and that's why, once again, you just want to look at the assets that you're holding, that it's holding, and it's okay. It's top holding is still Amazon. Don't love that. Then Adobe, then Microsoft. Don't love that. So once again, it's a better alternative than the cover call index tracking ETFs, but... It's still just a so-so uh, fund overall. And this goes back, you know, I still get so many people just focusing on the dividend, right? That person, Zim, well, the Zim Holdings, probably focused on the dividend. It's not about the dividend. It's about the business or the fund, the the, the, the mix of assets that that fund's holding. And let's go back to that call on Nick when he's talking about SCHD and, and VIG. I didn't look at the dividend for one second. I know they both pay dividend. They're, div- they're, they're dividend ETFs. That didn't matter to me. It mattered about the businesses that it's holding. So don't chase dividend. Chase good companies and smart assets. All right, for those who may be new to invest stock let me show you that. I'm always careful to give my straight and unbiased answer. No hidden agenda here. And most of the your questions will drive the direction of today's podcast. And one thing I can say for sure is today's investing situation is different than we've had over the past several decades. And we have higher inflation, higher interest rates. And duration matters again. And duration is important for a lot of different types of assets. Real estate has duration to it. Why? Because mortgage rates are long-term. Mortgages are long-term. And so because most people finance real estate with mortgages, there's duration risk with real estate. Just like there is with owning a long-term bond. Just like there is with owning tech stocks, growth stocks. They're long-duration assets because the, 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 the income and the profits from that business are far away. So these are the new type of risks that you have to account for when you're looking to invest so it's my goal that you to help you understand the current market environment that we're in avoid the pitfalls and capitalize on the opportunities because there still are a lot of great opportunities they're just not that sexy typically so I invite your phone calls and questions now on our anytime toll-free listener line at 99 chart In today's world, a
0: variety of factors are affecting the stock markets. Serious investors know building a secure financial future requires hard work and determination. That's why now, more than ever, when it comes to the planning, execution, and maintenance of your portfolio, you need InvestTalk. InvestTalk is a free download. Your participation makes it unique. Don't forget to call InvestTalk,
1: 888-99-CHART. Let's touch a bit on a meeting that's happening next week. It's actually on August 14th, so five days from now. And it will be between representatives of Amazon and the FTC. And it looks like there's either two things are going to happen. There are going to be a lawsuit, an antitrust lawsuit and complaint, or there's going to be some sort of settlement. And so these type of meetings are the last phase in the process of the investigation. And this is obviously head by FTC chairman, Lena Kahn. And she built her career in part by arguing that in an, ac- an academic paper that Amazon amassed too much market power and, the, and that antitrust law failed to restrain its power. So they've examined Amazon's practices, including whether it favors its own products over competitors on its platform, and how it treats outside sellers on their platform as well. So they've done things like take all the data. They have a lot of data. They know what's being searched for. They know what is being sold, and instead of leaving it all alone, letting the chips fall where they may, what they've done in many cases, is they said, oh, that's in high demand. Why don't we just go source it ourselves and sell it? We know it's in high demand. We know we can produce it for X. We can go and favor our rankings or our products in the rankings and basically undercut their, their customers. Right, Their customers are a lot of the sellers on the platform. And so that's using your power to really take out your competitors. Now, the lawsuit could challenge a lot of their businesses. So it's not just retail, but that's probably mainly where they're focusing on their anti-competitive practices. And I see this more and more. It's not just higher interest rates and higher inflation that's threatening a lot of these names uh it's a shift in government policy that is saying and a lot of this is bipartisan in some ways that this isn't an environment that is being nice to the big the big names anymore and allowing them to buy up a bunch of the smaller names and consolidate power and i think that is also a detriment to growth long term Now we're heading into our final break and I'm here ready to help you achieve your own version of financial freedom. So give me a call now at 888-99-CHART. You're building
3: your financial future, but you must have finance and investment questions. Justin Klein and Steve Peasley are ready to provide their unbiased answers. So don't forget to call InvestTalk, 888-99-CHART. Hey, Justin, Steve at JW from Florida, love the show. Just wanted to know what you thought about Clover
2: health, C L O V. They just had earnings today and they said they're delighted to have delivered our first quarterly adjusted EBITDA profit as a public company. They keep talking about profitability this year and next year is AI company Clover assistant. Let me know. Thanks.
1: Well, This is a good example of, uh, I believe, a company weaponizing AI, uh, meaning uh, the the term AI, you know, how much is it really deploying AI? This is a company that provides seniors with data-driven PPO and HMO insurance plans for Medicare-eligible customers, and their revenues have have grown dramatically. But their business continues to suffer. I believe this went public via SPAC. It looks like because it was hanging around ten dollars for a while in twenty twenty, in the, uh, the 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 heyday of, of SPACs, and now it's at a dollar thirty nine, and it's never made a profit in, in a full year. Uh, like you said, it sounds like they reached modest profitability in the quarter, but that's one quarter, and. I don't like companies like this that are uh, are struggling to get to profitability. Could they get there? Sure, but they're doing that with revenue down thirty nine percent year over year. I'm not touching this. I don't. I see no nothing exciting about this business. It continues to uh, burn capital overall. It's one quarter and one quarter doesn't make a trend. So if it can string some together and, and continue to see growth there, maybe, but. Uh, The technicals, while improving uh, a little bit as of late, not something that overall I have uh, a lot of conviction. And in fact, its earnings uh, boost that it got faded late in the day and closed near the lows. And that's what we call a topping tail on the chart, which is a bearish signal. So I would not be buying Clover. All right, lastly, let's touch a bit on the commercial real estate market, and mainly the REITs. And there's a couple big ones. Two of the biggest mortgage REITs out there are Blackstone Mortgage Trust and KKR Real Estate Finance Trust. And they've halted all new borrowing. They're not lending anymore. Now, they're dealing with existing loans and trying to make sure that they stay in place and and, and aren't defaulting and and maybe uh, working on the margins to... Restructure those loans, but they're not origi- originating any new loans uh, in the first half of the year. And other large ones like Starwood Pro- Starwood Property Trust, they have drastically reduced their new lending in recent quarters. Now, mortgage rates tend to lend to property owners instead of buying and developing real estate themselves, and they typically originate on average ten billion dollars of loans per quarter. But that down that's down. Uh, to a trickle and they're pulling back really to protect their balance sheets. And that's one issue with REITs is that they have to pay out 90% of their income to shareholders. What that means is if they're borrowing money, there's not a lot left over to pay down their debt. A total commercial and multifamily mortgage lending expected to fall to 504 billion this year, a 38% decline from last year. And other lenders are, are pulling back as well, Smaller regional, small and mid-sized regional banks. They're pulling back because they're trying to shore up their balance sheets, obviously, in the, in the wake of the banking crisis. And the companies that are kind of having a field day, insurance companies and other non-bank lenders that aren't REITs, and they're kind of having a field day. So insurance companies are getting good terms, and uh, it's very difficult to roll over a lot of these debts that are coming due. And... Yeah, you know, this is a good example of why you can't just focus on the dividend. For example, Starwood so far this year, it's the best one, only down 21%, Blackstone's down 32%, KKR down 41%. Who cares about the dividend when you're when, when you're down that much? And that's because they're having strains in their balance sheet because the assets in their balance sheet are being strained as well. So another example of why don't just follow the dividend. I'm Justin Klein, this completes another Invest Talk program, Steve Peasley, and I thank you for listening, and we encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads, which you can find anytime at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. And it's official, we have now surpassed the fifty-four point seven million download mark since it all began. So tell your friends about Invest Talk. Independent thinking, shared success. This Invest Talk. Good night.